This is an ABC podcast. Hello, I'm James Carlton. Welcome to God Forbid. A turf war is underway in Australia between teachers and preachers, or maybe I should say ministers of the cloth versus ministers of the crown. Private schools, private religious schools, are growing in number, but it's in secular public schools that the debate around the role of religion is most fierce. Some say public school is no place for private religion. Others say kids should learn about religion, but be educated in all religions, not indoctrinated in one. Then there are those still who say finding your values and sense of meaning in life in religion is not a belief, but an experience. And only those who've actually had it can share what it means. It's a debate that's been going on for over 150 years in this country in one way or another, and it continues still, as we'll learn from our panel. Alison Cortis is spokesperson for the lobby group Queensland Parents for Secular Schools. Welcome to God Forbid, Alison. Thank you, James. Thanks for having me. Also, a return from Anna Halifoff, Associate Professor of Sociology at Deakin University. Welcome back, Anna. Thank you, James. With you first, Anna, what is the state of play now across the states regarding religious education, what we used to call scripture classes in public schools? Well, it's certainly complex and it differs according to each state. So that makes it even more complex. And I appreciate we don't have all day to talk about it today. So in a nutshell, Australia introduced a national curriculum in 2010. Prior to that, education was completely the domain of the state. So that accounts for why there's so much um, variation between them. There, as you said, has been a raging debate around the place of religion in public schools, government schools, dating for, you know, over a century. So basically, when our government schools were set up around the country, they were set up as secular. And they were set up really as quite kind of hard secular, you would say. So they prohibited in many states any teaching uh, about religion by teachers themselves. Again, there is some variation in other states. And of course, when the early Australian colonies established secular education. It wasn't because there were, you know, all these atheists in the 19th century. It's because Catholic families didn't want their Catholic kids taught by a Protestant system and debates along that line, yes? Certainly at the time that the first government schools were set up, uh, it was a time when there was a lot of sectarian conflict. And so the mandate to have secular schools was partially introduced in order to minimise tensions between the different Christian denominations. But at the same time, what we need to be aware of is that at that time, there were debates around secular education happening in Europe as well. So in Australia, there was an influence from, say, French notions of laïcité, the separation of religion and state. And also Australia pre-1901 was a lot more religiously diverse than between 1901 and 1970, because 1901 was the year that the 
Immigration Restriction Act was introduced, the White Australia Policy. So in some of the early debates, and Marion Maddox has written a you know great book about this, there was also concerns raised that if we had a Christian religious education in uh, Australian schools, it could exclude some of the religious minorities. And at that time, there were substantive um, minorities, particularly across the far north of Australia, that were from Chinese communities, Japanese communities, Sri Lankan communities, and also Muslim, Malay communities. And of course, that's a factor that's raised in the 21st century today. Let's turn to Alison Cortis. You're a parent as well as spokesperson for Queensland Parents for Secular Schools. What what experience did you have uh, that motivated you to lobby against religious instruction in public schools? Um, I'm glad you asked that question, James. Um, So when my eldest child was in year two at a local Brisbane state primary school, Uh, religious instruction was available for the first time uh, for her. And I had, when I did the enrolment form, because that is the main way that the Department of Education seeks permission from parents, I had said, no, I didn't want my child to do religious instruction. Um, My personal story is when I was at school, I remember um, getting in trouble during religious instruction because I asked a question that the minister providing it didn't actually appreciate me asking. And I said, well, are you are you saying that all the people in the world who believe in reincarnation, are you saying they're all wrong? And he yelled at me and told me that this is Christian um, religion. We don't believe in anything else. And so I had that experience at school and I don't think I ever, I ever went back to it. So I was alert to religious instruction when my child, you know, faced it at her primary school. And I thought, you know, it's been a few decades since I did it. Surely um, it's not the same process as, as it used to be when I was at school, you know, in the 70s and, and early 80s. And I found out that uh, nothing, nothing much had changed except that whereas we had the actual local church ministers come in and do religious instruction, these days it's just volunteers from the local churches um, that, that come in. So, you know, they're not, they're not theologians, they're not ministers of religion, they're just um, someone in the church who, who wishes to volunteer. They need, all they need is a blue card and a letter, letter from their minister. But you so, opted out of your child getting that. So what's the problem? I, well, the problem was I actually um, asked if I could sit in and listen to the lesson because I was hoping to, to see that it, it had changed. With and a view to putting your child or children in there because that's what you wanted to do? It just didn't come up to the standard you wanted? No, it wasn't with a view to putting my child in. I was just wanting to know if what religious instruction was all about in 2014 compared to when I did it back in the in the 70s and 80s. So I asked if I could sit in as a parent in the back of the class on the RI lesson. So RI basically, being religious instruction. And that was fine. Um, but the problem was there was about seven children in my child's class that did not have parent permission to do RI. And they were actually in an, an attached room to the classroom where they had the computers set up and the kids were just going in and out of their classroom where the RI lesson was on. They were picking up readers of the 
uh, books off the shelf to go and read them and then when they finish them they just wander back in. They were they may as well have been in the lesson because they could hear and see it all. But I mean that's a problem with partitioning not a problem with religious education. I mean if you wanted your kid out of the room and he wandered past it I, why does that need to change the law? Look there's there's two things there's the law and then there's also Department of Education policy. And um, we, we haven't had any success at this point in getting the government to change the law to remove RI, but we have had a lot of success as acknowledged stakeholders with the Department of Education in getting better processes for parents to, to make informed decisions and to make sure that children are, are not exposed to the RI lessons when they don't have permission to attend. So it's, it's complex. There's, a, there's a, a, a lot of practical issues as well as the, the state of the law. What does the data show, Anna Halifoff? I mean, is there a big problem in this country of parents saying, I don't want my children to have religious instruction and then them somehow being slipped into a class behind the parents' back? So again, a lot has changed in recent years and in different states. So while Queensland still has uh, scripture or special religious instruction within school time, as Alison has explained, in the state of Victoria, uh, that is no longer the case. So what was happening in Victoria was that, yeah, there were a lot of incidences apparently of children being you know, excluded from classrooms and not given meaningful activities to do. Their parents requested they not do SRI, but I don't think it's an unreasonable expectation that during that time they would be given something meaningful to do within a school setting. Like in New South Wales, where if you opt out of religious instruction, you get to opt into a, a course about ethics and values. In New South Wales, they did allow that option and that option was not allowed in Victoria, even though there was a push for it. But it really doesn't quite solve the underlying problem that what is happening in Australian schools is that there is a lack of quality education taught by teachers about diverse worldviews that are religious, non-religious and spiritual And instead, what we have is this very outmoded system of volunteers from certain religious communities coming in and teaching just instruction into their particular religious tradition in what in many states are actually secular schools. And we do have these two strands, don't we? One is religious instruction. The other is broader religious general education provided by teachers via the Australian curriculum. Now, you say we don't do either particularly well. Correct. (laughs) And also, there is a movement now overseas and in Australia to acknowledge, based on research that, say, my colleagues and I have also conducted on the worldviews of Generation Z, that even calling it general religious education now is outdated and problematic and that there needs to be a shift to worldviews education. Now, the Victorian curriculum actually does include content about diverse worldviews and religions. So what might be an example of a diverse worldview that doesn't fall under a religion banner? Humanism, uh, rationalism, atheism... And then the other thing that's really relevant to young Australians, again, we have data to prove this, 
is uh, spirituality. So you've got the non-religious worldviews, you've got the diverse religious worldviews from the major faith traditions, but also, say, smaller faiths, and then you also have the centrality or importance of spirituality in many young people's lives. And Alison Cortis, do you believe in state government public schools the spiritual welfare of children is something that should be considered? Look, I think that... um it's important to look at what is spiritualism because it's the word is thrown around a lot. So spirituality is really, you know, what people look for to make meaning in their life. And that can mean religious meaning, non-religious meaning. It can be what whatever floats the person's boat. So whether people identify as spiritual, they might also be religious or they may not be religious. It's a very, very wide topic. And I certainly aren't saying that spiritualism doesn't have a place in school because I'd be saying spiritualism doesn't have a place in people's lives, which is just, you know, not correct. It might be very important to some people, but it is a a very loose term that has a wide meaning and lots of people try to equate it to meaning religious views and it it, um, should not be limited to that. So when you say... Can I jump in there on spirituality? Yes, Anna. So... Yes, I agree that spirituality is a word that is used really frequently and uh, there's no real agreed meaning of, of what that term means. Our research uh, suggests in Australia that spirituality includes three main streams. One is uh, First Nations spirituality. The other is religious spirituality. A lot of religious people are spiritual and declare themselves to be both religious and spiritual. And also what we would call holistic spirituality, more sort of alternative movements previously equated with the New Age. But what's important to note here is when I'm talking about worldviews education, including an emphasis on spirituality, it's still learning about spirituality. It's learning about religion. It's learning about non-religion. It's understanding what these things mean in a socially scientific way. Spiritual well-being in the curriculum is a whole nother matter and another controversial one because there is an assumption in some of the statements in the Australian curriculum that spiritual well-being is a part of the whole child and should be provided an emphasis on that to everyone. Now, that's problematic in a society where not everybody holds that view. So again, our data suggests that it's around a quarter of young people who are strongly not religious and strongly not spiritual. So for them and their parents, a term like spiritual well-being is actually problematic. So in a state school system, you are going to have a very diverse composition in your classroom when it comes to their their worldviews. Indeed, which means, doesn't it, that public schools should cater for that diversity. In other words, if 75% of children and their parents think life has a spiritual component to it, if you simply say go to a school, a religious school, where they talk about that, that means you're saying to the people who can't afford private education, you won't get anything from the public school either. Well, James, do you know how busy you know public school teachers are? The New South Wales and the Queensland Teachers Union have, have had long, decades-long standing official policies opposing 
the um, provision of religious instruction in state schools. They see it as a disruptive intrusion into their classrooms. No doubt, like if churches... um, would see a law that allowed teachers to interrupt their church services to teach some maths. They'd say, not the time or place. We've only got so much time to do our our religion. We don't want your maths. Well, the teachers are, are saying the same thing. Well, that's I respect that point of view. But Anna Halifoff was saying the data shows uh, most people disagree with you and the teachers on this. Well, in Queensland, only 40% of of parents of kids in state schools actually provide consent for their child to participate in RI. So that's that's 40%. I mean, in my child's year six class, there were about seven kids out of 22 that actually did Christian RI, and the rest of the class had to basically twiddle their thumbs and wait till the RI lesson had finished before they could get back to their classroom and their teacher to continue their lesson. Um, I'd like to contrast that with the instrumental music program. So when my child left left her classroom to go and do violin in the school hall, there wasn't a restriction on the teacher continuing with their normal lesson. So there's this privilege that is given to to religious instruction, which is not even a Department of Education program. It's not provided by them. They don't approve or endorse the content of the program. All they have to do is let them in because the law says that they have to do that. RN, it is God forbid. We're with Alison Cortis, spokesperson of Queensland Parents for Secular Schools. Also with us, Anna Halifoff, Associate Professor of Sociology at Deakin University. Are arguments about teaching religion in school symbolic of a broader uncertainty we have in Australia, namely about the relationship between church and state, religion and state? Dr Renee Barker from the University of Western Australia is an expert on law and religion. She says the battle over religious instruction in school is a microcosm of a larger battle over rights in Australia and perhaps even uncovers a confusion about just what sort of country we want to be. Renee Barker recently spoke to God Forbid's Sam Carmody. We have descended into, in this debate, very obviously a battle of rights and it's a nil-sum game. This idea that it has to be the right to freedom of religion versus the right to non-discrimination or the right to um, inclusion in case particularly of LGBTI families. But that's actually a secondary question, that battle of rights. And actually what we need to do is focus on what sort of societal relationship do we want to have between the state and religion? Do we want a society where as much as possible we separate state and religion, even if that means that some religious beliefs and practices may need to be curtailed in order to create that separation? Or do we want a society which is very religiously plural and a society in which uh, religions are allowed to and encouraged to flourish not only in private spaces but also in public spaces and maximising diversity, even if that means that we may need to extend freedom of religion in such a way that it may impact upon the rights and freedoms of others? And... That is the question in this debate we're having about schools is just a microcosm 
of a much larger societal debate that we're having for a number of reasons, not least of which is rapidly shifting religious demographics, and that those are starting to be reflected in a number of laws, and we've seen a lot of law change in the last decade, if you think legalisation of euthanasia, legalisation of same-sex marriage, decriminalisation of abortion, the prohibition on conversion therapy, all of that's happened in 10 years, less than 10 years, in fact. And that's a very rapid legal change and societal change. And I think that's why we're having this debate and schools are just a microcosm of that. So I guess, I mean, it's probably a crude question, but who is winning and where is this trending? Largely the answer to that is right now nobody's winning except poor public debate. (laughs) Poor standards of public debate is currently winning because we're doing this as a nil-sum game of one has to win. Because we're doing it as a battle of rights, Nobody can win. You are predisposing that somebody loses. It really just depends on what is the society we want. And I think that's the problem is right now we don't know the answer to that. Dr Renee Barker from the University of Western Australia with Sam Carmody. Well, Anna Halifoff, she says, unfortunately, religious education has this zero-sum game because it's a battle of rights. You agree? No, I don't really agree with a lot of what was said there. I, I think I think we do have competing sort of views of who we are as a nation. That's true. And I think that's been there for some time. I'm reminded of Ghassan Haj's work on the white nation fantasy, his argument that the imposition of the Immigration Restriction Act that I mentioned before and and the white Australia policy between 1901 and the 1970s created a myth of a white Christian country. So we, our research has added in a sort of religious dimension to that myth. And actually that the reality of Australia pre-1901 with its diverse First Nations cultures and diverse communities from Asia and Europe is what uh, Gus and Haj calls the multicultural real and what we call the multi-faith real, which again, from the 1970s onwards, uh, is our everyday lived reality, right? So we have this myth around whether we're a Christian nation or whether we're a multicultural, multi-faith nation. And clearly the facts, the data, the census data, everything suggests that the first is a myth and the reality is the real. Now, where do rights come into all of this? Well, also what Australia is a signatory to is the International Covenant of Civil and Political Rights. Article 18 is the one that is about freedom of religion. And while it does say that there should be freedom of religion, the third point of Article 18 says, and I will read it, freedom to manifest one's religion or beliefs may be subject only to such limitations as are prescribed by law and are necessary to protect public safety, order, health or morals or the fundamental rights and freedoms of others. This is very, very important. The problem is in Australia, because we don't have a declaration of human rights at the national level, we have a very low level of rights-based literacy, actually. Now we have, in some of our states, we do have rights declarations being signed within our states and more literacy developing around this clause around the importance of not causing harm to others. So regardless of whether you're a state school or whether you're a religious school or whoever you are, if your religious freedom is causing harm to others, that is against this covenant to which the Australian government is a signatory. 
and Alison Cortis, do you, this, this preventing harm, is it harmful to deny people of faith their right to that faith in the public square? Look, our position is, is solely in relation to public schools. Um, so I can't talk to a wider um, audience in relation to that. No, but Our public schools sit wholly within the public square. Well, they do. Um, our objection is to religious instruction in state schools. And in state schools, it's a time and place issue and that faith instruction can be done and should be done in family time if that's important to the parents, just like many other activities that families do in their own time. We think it's important that if religion is going to be in state schools, then it must only be in an educational form taught by their teachers as, as part of the curriculum. But for many people of faith, it's the experience of religion rather than the belief that's involved in religion that is the determining, the pertinent, the meaningful factor. Therefore, if you have a teacher or an instructor or an educator who has not had that experience, it necessarily limits their ability to teach it. Well, I would just say that people can experience um, faith outside of a state school <laughs> school day. As long as they unexperience it when they turn up at school. That's not how faith works. Well, there's nothing stopping a child of a religion from saying a little prayer to them between first break and second break, if, if that's what they wish to do. I am just talking about the legislative privilege that gives religious organisations right of entry into state school classrooms to provide religious instruction to, you know, children whose parents have given consent at the expense of the learning of all children. And if I send my kid to religious instruction for an hour a week, how does that damage your children's education? So you giving consent to your child attending, you have that choice. I don't have a choice about my child missing out on their normal classroom teaching. Uh, the other thing to be aware of is that in the legislation, it says up to an hour of religious instruction um, a week. However, the Department of Education has confirmed to us that that is an hour per provider. And there are schools uh, in Queensland that might have three providers of religious instruction, uh, all providing half an hour each. So that actually adds up to an hour and a half of religious instruction um, that is taking up valuable class time every week. Well, if your kids went to all three of those classes, then that would achieve the ambition you set for religious general education. Namely, they get to understand about how different faiths work and believe and act and inspire. No, it's Jane. not the same. Religious instruction is very different to religious education. Religious instruction is instruction in how to follow a faith. In other words, it's the similar to what you would hear at Sunday school or in a mosque or in a temple delivered by a religious leader. Education about religion in state schools is very different and Queensland has very little of it. Indeed, but that's the primary problem that needs to be addressed, isn't it? That is the primary problem that needs to be addressed, but not through uh, special religious instruction or scripture teachers being, sorry, can't even call them teachers, scripture volunteers teaching children about diverse religions. We all know what a sensitive topic religion can be. We need teachers 
who they themselves need to be educated about how to teach about religion. And then that needs to be in the actual curriculum in a more considered way than it is now and in a more inclusive way of diverse worldviews than it is now. And this needs to be taught carefully, uh, professionally by teachers, not by volunteers who come in who may well have their own uh, religiously informed biases. And don't teachers bring their own biases to the classroom inherently, necessarily, whether it be religious or irreligious, conservative or not? Any number of approaches that the, the full humanity of a teacher brings to a classroom. And on the other side of the equation, even if a kid who wasn't Muslim or wasn't Hindu or wasn't Christian went one year to Christian scripture, one year to Hindu scripture, one year to Muslim scripture, would that not expose him or her to a diversity of belief rather than a, a secularised description about religions? I mean, kids learn about religions by meeting religious people. It happens in the playground, but you don't want it to happen in the classroom. That's not at all true. What we're interested in and the type of resources that we are recommending to governments is that they are resources that are developed by educators, by social scientists, people who are trained, who, yes, we all have biases, but we also, many of us as educators, have uh, have been educated about our biases and how to navigate them. And we're there also to help uh, our students be aware of their own biases and how to navigate them. And the type of uh, resources that I think would be most relevant to young Australians, which don't really exist in this country, are, say, a multimedia resource that's, you know, videos and uh, talking heads and visits to places of worship, virtual visits to places of worship, and where young people of diverse worldviews can be interviewed, can be filmed, can share their experiences with others, and then teachers can help guide a critical analysis and discussion of these examples so that we are learning, again, about the place of religion and diverse worldviews in society, not being instructed into a particular worldview. That's hmm. a whole different thing. And that really is not the business of state education. On RN, it's God forbid. We'll look at this more up next. For some, learning about religion in school is essential if children are to understand the way the world truly is, whether that be religious instruction or general education about religion. For others, bringing religion into school is a slippery slope that risks exposing children to ideologues, even to fundamentalists. Well, for Professor Samina Yasmin, it represents both an opportunity and a danger. She's the founder and director of the University of Western Australia's Centre for Muslim States and Societies. In order to open the minds of young people, it is important for them to have a sense of spirituality. Now, you don't necessarily need that to be communicated through religious education, but I think it's an easy way. And especially if you provide religious education, which encourages students to understand the diversity of faith-based traditions. Uh, they can learn what different people feel, they think, and I think that introduces a sense of acceptance, tolerance, and inclusion of different communities. 
it becomes a slippery slope when we basically let anyone come into the school system and say, well, would you please communicate your religious understanding to our children? Because that is where you open up the possibility of someone who is very orthodox or conservative in his or her interpretation really passing on those biases to the children. And it has happened. And it's happened in all religious traditions. But so I can see the concern, but I think not giving them this idea is really bringing them up with partial understanding of the world that they live in and they will be living in. It is the state's responsibility to make sure that they sort out those teachers who, one, provide the knowledge of the religion, and two, more importantly, link it to the wider environment in which the children are growing up. That takes care of being very conservative or orthodox in communicating this knowledge. I think that's a requirement which everyone must go through so that we can be sure that we're not bringing in someone who, for example, in case of Muslim students, gives them an idea that women's place is only in the family sphere. You have to guard against that. The concern that many Australians would have when they hear about religious classes teaching Islam to Muslim students in state schools would be the concern that that trend towards more orthodox interpretations of Islam uh, could occur within the Muslim community here. Is that a valid or invalid concern? I think it's an invalid concern because if we do not provide children of Muslim background religious education in public schools, then parents who want their children to have Islamic knowledge and do not have the time to provide that knowledge will have no other option but to send it to Islamic schools. Uh, now, I'm not saying that all Islamic schools are conservative in their outlook, but I think when you have only one kind of religious community, you have a greater tendency to go down in the direction of being rigid in interpreting your understandings. If we provide that knowledge in public schools, then at least we are opening up the space for Muslim students, all the Muslim students who would like to be in public schools to be there and also have their religious knowledge, provided the safeguards that I had mentioned are put in place. We don't want anyone standing up and saying, I'm an Islamic scholar or I know about Islam and I'll teach you about the, this religion. That's problematic. But if they know the religion, if they know the society, if they can link the two together, I think children have a right and the community has a responsibility to meet that right. Professor Samina Yasmin there. Uh, well, Alison Cortes, she, she says, as you heard, children have a right to learn about religion. Now, we need to respect your view that you don't want your kids exposed to people of faith. But what about the Muslim or Hindu or indeed Christian kids in public schools uh, who want it? Um, James, uh, I, I don't have the view that I, I don't want my children exposed to, to people of faith. That's just um, not... <laughs> Not the the situation. Well, in class time, authority figures for faith. I don't want I, I don't want my children to do religious instruction in, in state schools. They're exposed every day to to people people of faith and and no faith, and I have absolutely no no problem with that. The trouble with what she was saying is that how can a state school provide religious instruction for every single religion? Um, that is out there that parents want to provide. Well, that can't um, be done practically. It can't is... be done practically. So 90% 
of RI lessons in Queensland are Christian. So you're, you're saying it's a problem that a minority of kids can't get access to their religious education in their own faith, and the solution to this problem is banning in religious instruction in all faiths. One of the reasons to remove RI is that it is it's, it's unrepresentative of the diversity of state schools. There are many reasons to, to remove RI, but yes, it is certainly dominated by Christian faiths and minority religions don't even get, um, you know, a leg in. Well, they do um, in public schools which have mostly Muslim kids. Public schools with Hindu kids do on many occasions get access to community members who can instruct and, and, and guide them and, and teach them about their own community, the Muslim community, the Hindu community, the Indian some, community. Some, some occasions. M- most minority faith uh, religious instruction providers will say that they can't meet demand. Obviously, they can't get Hindus and Muslims to every school with Hindus and Muslims, but is that a reason not to try? Well, I'm not here to get more religious instruction. I'm here to um, to ask that it be removed from school and that children aren't divided on the basis of religion from their state school classmates. Well, I, so long as that view is honoured and respected, what's the problem with the parents who disagree with you having different opportunities? What about the parents who want their kids to have some understanding of the religious world in which uh, they live and in which the family comes from? I am f- fully supportive of parents taking their children to their local places of worship, whether that be a mosque, a temple, Sunday school, or doing faith instruction in the family home or whatever other place they can do it. Our view is that state school classrooms is not the time or place for that. I mean, faith formation is already publicly subsidised via tax exemptions for religious organisations and their places of worship, and there's generous funding for faith-based schools. This third platform of state schools should be used to educate children about worldviews and religions if anything, but certainly not dividing kids in their classroom for mutually exclusive uh, religious instruction that affects um, all the children because they're all missing out on valuable class time and their teachers want that back. Isn't what their parents want more important? Well, parents want a lot of things from schools, but they don't always get it. And Anna Halifoff. I mean, religious education done right gives a fuller understanding of the the world in which people live. I mean, is this not a battle between conservatism and uh, modernism as distinct from a a battle between secularism and religion? No, I think it's it's very clear that both Alison and I uh, and, and many other people are arguing that there is a place to learn about diverse religions. It just should be, if it's going to be in schools, it should be taught by teachers. In terms of faith formation, I don't think school classroom time is the time to do it. There are some schools where there are, say, clubs or groups that uh, form after hours. Um, That is a possibility. And then 
There are also many places of worship that have um, what used to be called Sunday schools, but in a multi-faith environment, you wouldn't call it Sunday schools. But, you know, options for young people to come that don't cost anything on the weekend, after hours. So it's really a bit of a false uh, premise that you either have to be wealthy and afford to send your child to a religious school Uh, in order for them to have faith formation or it has to be done in public school. There are other community spaces uh, where that can take place free of charge as well. It it is really a question about what is the role of public education and is it public education faith formation? Is that its role? I don't think so. Young people are less freaked out about this than older generations, we can tell you on the basis of our research. Why? Because since the tragic events of 9-11, so, you know, that's getting on to 22, 20 years ago, young people have been saturated by media uh, debates and discourses on religion. They've been saturated with some really problematic negative stereotypes about particular religious groups. Those sorts of things need to be addressed. That needs to be addressed in the curriculum. Young people want to be able to talk about controversial issues at school that they're reading about in the media, but their teachers are too afraid to go there. They don't know how to have these conversations. They don't even know how to approach this This because the education system is either beholden to these SRI providers and the pressure from the Christian lobby and other different groups to keep religious instruction and stay out of general religious education or worldviews education, uh, or just because of a general lack of religious literacy amongst not just students but also teachers. Well, if we do get rid of religion in school, that is to say, religious instruction in public school, what comes in its place? Filling the void up next. On RN, it's God Forbid, we're with Anna Halifoff, Associate Professor of Sociology at Deakin University, and Alison Cortis, a spokesperson of Queensland Parents for Secular Schools. Parents in Australia have the option of allowing their kids to receive or not receive religious instruction in school, mostly public schools, scripture classes as they were once known. But removing the option of religious education invites the question, what do you put in its place? Maybe ethics education or learning about universal human values? That sounds appealing. What could be wrong with having values and being ethical? But Professor Susan Rutland says teaching values separate from religion is not enough. And she says taking SRI or special religious education out of school would be a mistake. To take religion totally out of the public space is a huge error. And having SRI, as it is in Queensland, uh, in other words, in-faith religious education within government schools conveys a very key message. It conveys a message that religion still recognise its role. If you take it out entirely from the public domain, what you're actually doing is fostering fundamentalism. By retaining it in the public domain through those classes, but also ensuring government involvement, and this is what we've argued in our report, uh, clear transparency, clear evaluation, you're also acculturating 
religious leaders into a way of thinking for the 21st century. If you take it out entirely, then you're actually going to foster their fundamentalism. It's much better to keep it within the school system, but to acculturate our religious educators into the 21st century. That's Professor Susan Rutland from the University of Sydney's Jewish Studies Department. So uh, Associate Professor Anna Halifoff, she says excluding religion from the public domain fosters fundamentalism, including religion, acculturates religious leaders and educators and the faithful into, you know, our pluralist, modern, progressive Australia with its evolving social norms. So her, her argument is fundamentally flawed. Teaching about diverse worldviews by teachers, now that can reduce a sense of uh, alienation or exclusion if all young children and older students are able to study and talk about diverse religions and talk about Australia as a multi-faith nation. Uh, well, Professor is... Rutland is very much in favour of that. She just wants both religious instruction and religious education. The problem with her argument is she is arguing that the best people to provide this learning about diverse worldviews are the SRI volunteers and providers. Now, that's a highly problematic argument because those people are not qualified. They are not trained to be able to educate about diverse perspectives nor to manage their own biases. They're volunteers. They're not teachers. So that is a fundamental problem, particularly when it comes to uh, talking about religion, which is an area that does require training and sensitivity to navigate. Well, yes and no. Religion is fundamentally different. Spirituality is fundamentally different because it supersedes the the, the normal questions asked in school, maths, English. I mean, if, if spirituality is an experience, there is surely then a variable, have you or have you not had the experience of it? I, I guess if I could make an analogy, if the topic at school was not maths, English or religion, but love. If you had a teacher who had never been in love, but then had to explain what love was, they'd have a more difficult job of doing it than by being taught by someone who's just fallen in love. Yeah, again, I think it's a flawed analogy. Teachers, uh, I'm a trained teacher, uh, we're always asked to be teaching about things that we might not have any direct experience of. But we've been trained, we have curriculum to guide us, we have various different um, resources, whether they're textbooks or academic articles, we have a lot of things that we can draw on to talk about and give examples of other people's experiences. We don't teach in a way that is just a a reflection of our own personal experiences and beliefs. And indeed, if we were doing so in secular education systems, that would be problematic. Indeed, but you have said yourself, Anna, that we're not meeting the standard of having our secular public school system teaching kids about the diversity of worldviews and religions in which they're going to grow up into. So, So much so that if you are a Muslim parent who wants to get your child exposed to Muslim values, ideas and history, you'd be better off sending them to, a, say, a Catholic systemic private school than a public school. They'd learn more at the Catholic school, wouldn't they? 
Yeah, that happens a lot, actually, in Australia. So, And what does that uh, say about the quality of religious education in public schools? Well, that it's very poor. But what it also shows is that a lot of the Catholic schools and some of the Jewish schools and some of the Muslim schools do have uh, programs, but again, they're taught by teachers. They're not taught by just volunteers from their community. They have programs about diverse religions within some of these faith-based schools, but again, that are rigorously treated as part of, say, the Catholic education uh, curricula. So it's not this sort of random, you know, a person with a lot of perhaps even a lot of good faith and goodwill wanting to come and wanting to share their experiences with others. That's not the right way to do it. It, it needs to be taught by teachers, whether it's in faith-based schools or in state schools. And Alison Cortis, we heard from uh, Professor Susan Rutland in, in that insert. She was behind a 10-year study which found, only out this year, a quarter of all religious students in public school, kids who have a faith, face verbal and physical bullying because of their religion. And she says kids are entitled, therefore, to have a safe space, if only once per week, where people of that religion can congregate. Is, is that not unreasonable? Well, I, I would say to that, James, that perhaps some of that bullying is actually as a result of dividing children in their state school classrooms along religious really? lines That's... for mutually exclusive religious indoctrination. You think anti-Jewish, anti-Muslim bullying, which is on the rise, is caused by scripture classes? Well, I'm just... Com so my child was actually injured after, an, after a Christian RI lesson when the class got back together again and one of the children asked my, my young daughter why she didn't do it and um, actually twisted my daughter's arm as a result. So, you know, it, it, this, these are consequences of dividing children up in their otherwise state school classrooms. And I want to say that um, Professor Rutland's view that schools need to have religious instruction, otherwise they'll become hotbeds of uh, fundamentalism I just want to say that I think that's absolute nonsense and offensive to in, the amazing work that teachers do in state schools. Indeed, you're arguing that if we remove religious instruction from schools, religious-based bullying will go down. It may, it may not. What we do know, again, from a robust national study uh, is that when students do have general religious education, education about diverse faiths taught by qualified teachers, they have uh, more positive perceptions of religious minorities. So there is robust evidence that worldviews education or general religious education can help counter uh, bullying in our classrooms. OK, well, we're going to head to the quiz next. No dispute as to who will be the winner there. On RN, it is, God forbid. Wits End. Ah, yes, it's Wits End, the God forbid quiz. Now, Alison Cortis is spokesperson of Queensland Parents for Secular Schools. You want religion out of school religious instruction because you're afraid your kids might be taught this. Test your buzzer. And Harry Potter went straight to hell for practising witchcraft. There we go. Well, Anna Halifoff, Associate Professor of Sociology at Deakin University. Test your buzzer. Why am I here? 
<laughs> nice. Now, first question. What's the first, what was the first Australian colony to introduce free secular public education? And Harry Potter went straight to hell for practising witchcraft. Queensland. Actually, I've got Victoria. Ah, I've got Victoria go. in 1872. Oh, three years. It beat Queensland by three years. OK. Well, that brings me to the next question. If Queensland brought their Education Act in in 1875, what did they do in 1910 to change it? And Harry Potter went straight to hell for practising witchcraft. They took out the word secular and put in religious instruction. Yeah, they're pretty different words. So what, it used to say the schools must be secular, then it said schools must provide religious instruction. Yes, yes, that, that there was a right of, a right of entry a right to of religious entry. organisations to provide religious instruction, yes. Next question. Which of the following people has not volunteered to provide scripture classes for young people or Sunday school? Um, former US President Jimmy Carter was here Sunday school volunteer. What about the wealthiest American of all time, John D. Rockefeller and TV night show host Stephen Colbert? Which of them has not volunteered as a Sunday school teacher? And Harry Potter went straight to hell for practising witchcraft. None of them in Queensland. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to have to pay that, Alison, because it was Thank a trick you. question. <laughs> all three have actually taught Sunday school, which is, uh, <laughs> there you go, different backgrounds. Uh, good for them. Good for I'm them. all in favour of Sunday school. Take your kids to Sunday school or your <laughs> uh, mosque or your temple. Just... Um, take it out of state schools. Next question. Where and in what century did Sunday schools begin? It was 18th century England. You know why? This is a bit obscure. It was to provide literacy skills to working children. If you teach the factory kids and chimney sweeps and kids in the mine to read the Bible, you in turn teach them English literacy. That was the plan. And that's why Sunday school in England was actually the precursor to public education. And with that, we have reached the end of God Forbid. Anna Halifoff, thanks very much for being with us. Oh, thank you so much, James. And thank you, Alison, also. And Alison Cordes, thanks for being on the program. My pleasure. Thanks, James. Thank you, Anna. And you can follow or share the God Forbid podcast on the ABC Listen app. You can email me at godforbid at abc.net.au. I'm James Carlton. Remember to be good. This has been God Forbid. Listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.